efficiency. And what I found was particularly efficient in terms of building building fitness without a time cost was using the bike as transportation. Like there's not a logical dovetail between multi-sport and minimalism because like you need all this stuff to do the sport. Correct. But you can maximize the enjoyment out of the sport if you're doing the sport more and focusing on the stuff less. Greetings, salutations, welcome. My name is Greg Kopecki, and this is episode 7 of the Minimal Multi-Sport Athlete Podcast. I'm not quite sure what day this will publish, but I'm going to take a stab and call it Wednesday, September 26th. If you are not familiar with me or the show, we are here to help you streamline your relationship with all the gadgets and crap that you own so you can actually focus on doing the thing, the sport or the hobby. We do this by offering tips, strategies, and action items, and also by interviewing some interesting people who can help to expand our minds about this philosophy. Uh, Much of the show discusses triathlon and cycling-related topics, but we also dive into other sports and related fields when we can. Please subscribe to the show if you haven't already, and more importantly, tell a friend if you can. Uh, It was funny, I was listening to a friend's podcast the other day, Uh, It's The Psychic Derailer by my pal Chris Wiggins. Uh, I'll put a link to his show in the show notes of this. Uh, And in one of his episodes, he was speaking with a friend who is in digital marketing, aren't we all? And they were talking at length uh, about how, in a lot of ways, marketing hasn't changed. And word of mouth is still the most important method of advertising. And, you know, your digital platform needs to back that up. But for most businesses, that's not your foundation. It's good old word of mouth and personal referrals. And funny, it was kind of relieving to hear somebody with credibility saying that because it's, I think it's easy to get caught up in the clicks, numbers, trying to find some magic formula to promote what you're doing. And uh, I was actually just out in Reno, Nevada for Interbike, which is the largest bicycle trade show in North America. And I'm considering doing a recap show of that, but the reason I mention it now is that it's always refreshing to actually get out and talk to people uh, in the industry, in in my industry in particular, is the bike industry. Uh, you know, like actual face-to-face interaction. It doesn't have a subject line and signature. It's it's like uh, there's real people out there. You know, most of them are nice. Let's let's go talk to them. This is all just to say. If you can think of someone who might like this show, I would really appreciate you telling them about it. Today's episode is with my friend John Paul Severin, who I've known for, I think, about 15 years now. If you're new to the show and already bored, I implore you to continue listening because I think this is definitely the best episode so far. John and I used to race triathlons together, and we share a pretty similar outlook on life. And more recently, I've I've sort of become his bike sensei, and we had uh, an email exchange that prompted me to ask him to be on the show. The gist of it is, John is busy now. He has a wife and kids, a full-time job, and he's trying to balance all of that while staying in shape and not going crazy. And uh, he has some very effective strategies for doing this, 
such as commuting to work on his bike. And uh, he and his family also have a growing interest in minimalism, mostly as a strategy to bring some sense of peace to a house with small children. John got in touch with me to discuss something that I mentioned in the last episode, which was trying to downsize his bikes. At his peak, John had four bikes, uh, just for himself, uh, and each was trying to fulfill a slightly different purpose than the next one. Now he is trying to reduce that to three or maybe even two bikes, and we talked about all the details. You know, how did he decide what's the most important? Uh, We talk about things like how having a couple different sets of tires for one bike can completely change its capability and sort of give you two bikes in one. Uh, There's a lot of details, and uh, he's just a good interview, so let's get into it. Well, then, we are here with a gentleman I've, I've never met. Um, let's see, his name is, uh, is Jean, Jean-Paolo Sveranici. He's Italian? <laughs> Just kidding. This is... That's exactly it. Yeah. That's exactly that, it. Did I say yeah, it right? You, you, very few people get the pronunciation right on the first try. The subtleties. Yeah. Jean-Paolo Severini. I'm a master of yeah, accents. It's, uh, it's John Paul, like the Pope, mm. Severin. Excellent. Like, nothing <laughs> <laughs> like nothing it actually reminds me of uh there's an old mma fighter dan severn a little bit different but he was ah, uh, yeah 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 i've just heard about this guy yeah he's like from what like the mid 90s or something like that yeah he was kind of like early mid 90s early days of ufc and uh just a destroyer uh really great uh, he was good yeah just really physically strong there's actually a move that uh just called the severn it's this uh, variation uh, of a choke that uh, we we we've done in class, uh, you know, when I learning that stuff, and it's it's legit. I mean, you've you've got to be strong to pull some of his stuff off, but he's awesome. So maybe you have like a long lost second cousin or something. Well, I I taught him taught him everything he knows, you know. <laughs> so yeah, that that move is uh, it's named after me. <laughs> That's standing. Little known fact, yeah. <laughs> Well, let's do a little actual intro. So, you know, I think we've known each other for, well, I don't know, ten, at least ten years, probably. I think yeah. we, I think we yeah. met in college, and the the first oh seven maybe oh six yeah. Like well, the the first real clear memory I have of you is collegiate nationals, uh, the triathlon nationals in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Yep. And we're on the run. Yep. And it was really hot, and I just remember I you caught me on the run, and yep. we were running next to each other for a little while, kind of chatting, and just had a short little funny conversation amidst all the the pain and chaos. And then I believe you yep. pulled away and beat me. Am I am I correct in my recollection? You you are remembering one of the highlights of my racing career. <laughs> Because <laughs> this is this, this memory is like so you you don't know this but that was probably like my all time best race in my career where everything just came together like really we have no business in the same zip code in races <laughs> but I was up there just like you know sort of you know you kind of know how this is like sometimes the fitness will be there and you don't even know where it came from or what you did in training but your fitness is just on that mm-hmm. day 
Mm-hmm. And that was, that was like that day for me. And like every, every run prior to that, you know, I'm just not a naturally good runner. And so it would always be like, I'd get pretty far up in the bike and then slowly get rolled up by everyone. And that was mm-hmm. the first time where like, I think maybe the first time ever that I had like caught anyone <laughs> and was way further up in the field than I thought I would be. And so when we ran up, I was just like, Oh, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm here with, with other good people. Yeah. And like looked at you, chatted for a little bit and was just like, Oh wait, I think I have a little more. Like, you know, that was, yeah. that was the moment where it was like, Oh no, I'm not, like, actually like, I'm okay at this. Mm-hmm. No, so, yeah, for that, sure. that race for me is, uh, you know, you, you, you in that Purdue kit are like burned into my brain. <laughs> in one of those like three races that just where everything went well, you know? Yeah. No, that's funny. I mean, you're, it's funny cause you, you look like a runner. You're so tall and lanky and, um, I guess we sort of have a similar history and like we both were good on the bike and struggled on the run and, um, it took me a long time to get to where I felt I was a decent runner. And oddly enough for me, it was a lot of nutrition stuff would go wrong and I'd cramp and that took a long time. But anyways, um, then I remember, I guess one more quick memory. I think it was, it was years later. It was at triple T, which I, and I, I got my pass. I passed you back. Year, years later and i don't remember if, were you doing yes, the relay exactly. or yeah. <laughs> i don't know yeah. but um and for people that don't know triple t it's the worst idea ever uh as if triathlons weren't crazy enough how about doing four of them in three days it's like a weekend of racing and i think it was the half yeah, iron man so you do friday friday night is a short sprint distance race saturday morning you have an olympic distance race and then another one saturday afternoon and then Sunday is a half Ironman. And I believe it was the half Ironman run where I saw you in the distance. I'm like, wait a minute. Is that? Yes, it is. And I'm like, I'm going to get him back finally. <laughs> Not, you know, it was just a funny, like I wasn't actually, you know, I didn't actually care, but it was just this little joke I had in my mind where I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to pay him back for that, that time he passed me at Collegiate you gotta Nationals. You got to do it. You got to do it. <laughs> That's the thing with those, with races, for some reason, like those, they, they just get burned in like a different way into your memory, you know, mm-hmm. like they just, the, the big ones, they never quite go away, you know? Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, it's funny. And you run across the same people like years later. Yeah. It's, it's just, uh, it's interesting. Triathlon is an interesting little, uh, little world. Yeah. Well, I'll set the but stage. Yeah. I remember that race too. That was a, the, a, a really fun one for me. I was doing that with, uh, with, um, one of my, one of my best friends, um, as a team. And Mm -hmm. so we were trying to balance, like our skills didn't line up at all. So he's a really strong swimmer, a good runner. And, and my cycling was my strongest. So essentially Mm -hmm. what we were doing is he was working me over in the swim and dropping me. Mm -hmm. Then I would ride up to him, catch him and force him to burn all his matches and then he would blow up on the run, and I would blow up on the run. It was just yeah. not a good team. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, I remember seeing so, you guys on the bike, too. The, we, were, we were going back and forth. Like I, I was living in Colorado at the time, and so I had a lot of hill training. And I would pass you yeah. guys on the climbs, and then you'd yep. pass me on the flats or descents. You know, just You were just cruising through that bike ride. Yeah. 
I had a uh, I had a fifty four up front. That Ooh. was the only reason I was rolling people up on that big chain ring. <laughs> well, I'll give yeah. a little. Yeah, I went with the big dinner plate. <laughs> I'll set the stage a little about where I'd like this conversation to go. So, sure. um, you know, we raced, you know, in college, and we're young and going after it and training. And at that point, you know, triathlon is a, a big part of both of our lives. Um, and then you know, life goes on, you change, you know, you, you get married, you've got, you have kids now and a family and your priorities have changed. Um, and then the, the cool thing about you is you, you did this sort of uncommon thing, I think, which is you sort of moderated the place that the sport is taking in your life. And that's not to say you, you don't, uh, participate in it or like, you know, you still enjoy following it, but you've sort of uh, taken a few steps back and tried to kind of downsize and otherwise sort of minimize the role it's playing in your life. And uh, rather than yep. I see a lot of people continue to just sort of beat themselves over the head and sort of wish they could continue living the glory days. And they're sort of in a denial that I, I think gives a lot of people uh, stress that they're, they're busier and they can't do what they used to do. But I guess could, that's a, this is a big question, but could you sort of talk me through your evolution from the time I got to know you to where you, where you are now and how things have changed? Yeah. Yeah. So it's an interesting, I've, I, I mean, like most people, I think that, that go super deep into triathlon. It's just an interesting sort of ruthlessly um, self transformational process you know just the training the racing um and then how that fits within the context of your life is yeah it's, it's just really really dynamic and i think part of the reason why it attracts like uh i think like on the whole really intelligent people mm-hmm. um is because it's just such a complex multifactorial long-term valuable interesting problem to solve you know and 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 the variables in the equation change right so the variables that changed for me were uh my kids you know Mm -hmm. and and the fact that i'm i'm married and my wife is like my number one priority Mm -hmm. um so so just by the nature of priority reshuffling that um that comes with kids. Um, you know, that was one of the things that, that, that I was like kind of worried about becoming a dad is like, what, what is it going to look like when, when my priorities reshuffle and triathlon goes way down? And that sounds kind of like weird to say, but, um, well, it's part, it of, it's part of your huge... identity. It's who you are in, in a exactly. way. Exactly. That's, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. It's like, it is, you know, like you, when, when you go that deep and focus on performance, you become the triathlete. Like that's how people outside of the sport know you. It's like, yeah. Oh, that guy, the triathlete, you yep. know, like it's a, it's a foundational element of your identity, whether you like it or not, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, so yeah. So when I, when I had kids, um, I realized like, okay, there's, there's no longer just, it, it, it just became more about time efficiency so there were two things kind of like the, the time available for training was less. That was just a reality. And then also, and no one kind of told me this going into fatherhood, but like everyone talks about like, well, forget about your hobbies and forget about, you know, it's all about the kid now. 
and they they say that like it's like it's like a negative or something um but but really it's like when you have kids your priorities shift and you want them to shift like you're mm-hmm. You know, it's not it's not something that's like painful to you. It's just like, oh, yeah, the kid is what I want to be putting my time against now. Yeah, that is where I would you know, that's where I prefer to invest my efforts. So that being said, like I've also created like a long term dependency on extreme endurance exercise Mm -hmm. (laughs) through a decade of like commitment to it, you know, on a like pretty serious level throughout. So like so I have to reconcile that with um, with my family and my job and and um, you know I just needed to kind of compartmentalize that and what I found was most effective was um, taking the competitive stress out of it mm-hmm. so like I didn't put as many races on the calendar just kind of in my head. And so I could be a little bit more selective and it put a little bit less pressure on each individual week of like, I need to hit these training markers and what have you. Mm-hmm. So, so I kind of started there to, to remove some of the stress. And then also it, it just became, you know, about time management and efficiency. And what I found was particularly efficient in terms of building, building fitness without a time cost was using the bike as transportation or using fitness as like, or building fitness through transportation. So I started Mm -hmm. commuting to and from my job, which was, um, 15 miles away. And so, so I would get 30 miles, 30 miles a day, every day. And then on top of that could get, you know, 10 to 15 miles at lunch Mm -hmm. without, too much of a cost to my family because there's a commute that is a reality one way or another, whether you take a car or you take a bike. Mm-hmm. And so what we're really looking at then if impact to lifestyle is the delta between how fast you can get to work on, in your bike versus in your car. And because of where I was located in relation to my job, it actually wasn't that much of a difference. So it ended up being like 15 minutes I was 15 minutes slower by bike than I was mm-hmm. by car. Yeah. So it only had a cost to my family of 30 minutes. And that was something that my wife and I talked about and we were re- willing to make that trade. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so really what, what triathlon, you know, it, it, it just became a time management thing. And that's, that's kind of how I've looked at it is if you want to race, set up specific training dedicated to the race, and race off the sort of general fitness that you're just kind of carrying year long because the bike's your primary mode of transportation. Right. And for me, that's been like the, the probably healthiest, most enjoyable um, way of carrying okay fitness while still like, you know, being a functional employee and dad <laughs> and spouse. Yeah. Yeah, because then if you want to throw some other training, like running especially, is pretty quick to do. So if you want to go out early on like a Saturday or something, I could see you making that happen with relative ease. And swimming is a little tougher because you still have to drive and, you know, shower, do the pull pool thing. But uh, no, that's, that's a really interesting approach. And I guess along the same lines, it seems like you've had kind of an 
a budding interest in uh, the minimalism movement. Um, and I don't know a lot about this, uh, how you got into it and um, how much you consider yourself to be a minimalist or uh, can you talk me through some of that? Yeah. So uh, this, this the, probably the, the catalyst for this was, was my wife and how she was trying to pare things down in her own life to make herself as like a, a stay-at-home mom of three, three toddlers. So we have, we have twin, twin boys who are two now, and my oldest daughter is four. And so she has her hands full at home full time. And she needed to figure out systems to make her more efficient because there are just so many young kids that, that are really reliant on her for pretty, pretty much everything. Um, so she just doesn't have a lot of, you know, spare time for things to be inefficient, right? Like when you have three toddlers running around, you, you realize like, okay, I need to trim the fat here really quickly and, and make all the systems in my life as biled as they can be. So minimalism was essentially um, kind of a, a tool to make our cleanup process faster around the home because we're cleaning, you know, multiple times a day. And so that, how do we make that take less than 15 minutes? And it's like, okay, we need to get the stuff out of our house. Right. And so we started paring that down and that was kind of the genesis of minimalism for us um, is just that that was like an effective way of, of, um, you know, time management again for us. Um, and, and then that has, I've seen the benefit of that and started extrapolating it out to, you know, where, where it's not necessarily like, there's not a logical dovetail between multi-sport and minimalism because like you need all this stuff to do the sport. Correct. But you can maximize the enjoyment out of the sport if you're doing the sport more and focusing on the stuff less. Yeah. You know, I'm going to make this into an advertisement for my show. Uh, There's going to be a billboard with uh, that quote you just said. (laughs) Listen to the (laughs) Minimal Multi-Sport Podcast because uh, of what he just said. (laughs) I'm kidding. Exactly. Um, Exactly. And that is really what you see is when when you strip this down to – so so the the premise is like how do I get joy back into a sport where it can get all convoluted – it can get too focused on the metrics and the data. And it's like with, with adults, we ruin the fun from everything. You know, we take it and we make spreadsheets and, you know, we distract ourselves with little gadgets and technology updates and mm-hmm. that. And, and we lose the actual joy of the activity. Right. And this is like riding a bike. This is like what you love to do as a child. So how do you get more of that? childlike interaction with your hobby it's like you take all the complexity that you've added onto it back out yeah i forget get to the core of what you're doing yeah there was a quote i think i had in my first or second episode i'll try to remember it it was to the effect of uh we don't stop playing because we grow old we grow old because we stop playing yeah yeah yes yes yeah like that when i read that i was like oh they nailed it i I forget uh nailed it if I can, I'll put it in the show notes, uh, who that was. And, uh, cause I can't remember off the top of my head, but yeah, it's like you give yourself all this work if you have, you know, my, my thing is it's not saying you can't have any gadgets. 
You've just got to pick the few, you know, the the ones that are most important that that you'll get the most benefit out of. But if you've got, I I think the answer can't be that you've got every gadget because then you're just, you're constantly serving all these things, charging the batteries, analyzing the files, downloading, cleaning, maintaining, storing, uh, selling because the new one came out and you can just kill yourself with all this work when it's like, wait a minute, this is supposed to be fun. Yes. Yep. But, and that was that was kind of where I got like that was sort of my probably my mountain top of of I, I guess my I guess like maybe the straw that broke the camel's back for me in terms of my disillusionment with with triathlon in like sort of as a scene was when when power meters became sort of ubiquitous mm-hmm. like you had and, to have one and it just was like you had to have one, you had to have one. And I trained with it for a while and I was just like, uh, yeah, I see it. But I also get this benefit from just riding hard lots. You know, <laughs> it's just a little less scientific, but the amount of time that I'm spending trying to digest the information that I'm getting out of this is not actually making me faster. It's just making me frustrated with not hitting my numbers. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And that, yeah. So like when I took sort of the the numbers out of it, I got a lot more enjoyment out of it, Mm -hmm. you know? That's interesting. Um, and I think a lot of people assume that that's going to necessarily include a decrease in performance, but, um, I think it, it can, but not necessarily. I've seen, I've seen some people that, uh, have simplified and have gone faster just because they, it just was easier for them to actually get out and train more. So I guess uh, this is a very unscientific answer, but I, I guess the, the, my point is don't assume that you're just going to get slower because you have less technology in your training. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, like you look at, you look at the times from when the sport was, was a frontier sport and they're fast times. Those guys were mm. flying, Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and all they were doing was just like, all right, let's get out and exercise all the time. Yeah. You know, and that was like the, the training, right? Like there was a little bit of science behind it. And, you know, we've, we've kind of, I don't know. I, I feel like as, as, as a sport, the priorities are a little bit upside down right now. And yeah. I think that's why kind of there's some growing pains there. Yeah. Um, well, I also want to get it into like it's lost a little bit of the, uh, you know what what the hook was in the beginning right there so, sort of like it was almost like a, what excited me about that gravel try yeah um was was getting back that play and that simplicity and you know the the kind of like i don't know there was just it was nice well, i think it it's nice. making it, it more stressful. more like an adventure race almost which i think was kind of the original yeah. idea where you're sort of going on an adventure, you know, the original, uh, Ironman in Hawaii. It's like, you're biking around the whole Island. You're swimming this great distance. You're sort of seeing a lot of things and, uh, doing the, a a triathlon with gravel roads and, you know, mountains. And there's, you're sort of getting out to see things and there's, you're introducing elements of uncertainty. You know, maybe you could get a flat tire or there's, there's uh, it's less sure your success is, is not as certain. And, I, I think no. it makes it fun. But that's that's exactly you just hit it. It's <laughs> when we lost the uncertainty, then the allure was less intense. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah. And, and that was how I, that, that, that to me was kind of like where I hit when, when I, when I felt like, Oh, I figured this out a little bit in -hmm. terms of, you know, with, with formal Ironman and like how fast am I going to go over an Olympic distance and what my functional threshold power is. I figured all that out when the mystery's gone, right? Like the, the allure becomes a lot less. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So well, I've really reinvigorated my kind of relationship with the sport through the, through kind of this new approach, right? Where it's less formalized. You're just active a lot more and thinking about it a lot less. Yeah. You know, when I want to get into sort of your new approach um, and, in terms of specifics with your bikes, so the old sort of joke that always was going around is, what's the correct number of bikes to have? And the equation is, N is your current number of bikes, and the correct number of bikes is always N plus 1. And it's like, you know, people always want more, 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 and, you know, you've, you it became you have to have a bike for every single situation. So there's a triathlon-specific bike, a road bike a cyclocross bike, which is sort of like a road bike with fatter tires and then a mountain bike. And then there's the actual fat bike, which is for riding in snow in the winter. It's got these giant tires and on and on. There's, there's even more than that. And I I went down that road. I had a ton of bikes and, uh, I've since I just got, I got tired of maintaining all of them. You know, even let's say you have six bikes, even just keeping all the tires pumped, is work because you're not going to be riding them all every week and they're just going to go, you still have to do a little bit of maintenance, even if they sit and go unridden. So you said you had four bikes and, or you you have, and you're trying to downsize to three or maybe even two. So could you give us a little overview of uh, your thinking process there? So it's, it's, again, this is, this is, this is now the extrapolation of my wife's minimalism into, into where I was resistant to extend minimalism, right? Multi-sport. Mm-hmm. And like, like we talked about, it's like, because it was tied to my identity, I don't want to get rid of these, these clothes and gadgets and stuff because they're, they're tied to memories for me and like how, who I was in my twenties. Right. But that mm-hmm. person is, is also different. And, and so what I realized is the jobs to be done now for my bike are different than they were when I was competing Mm -hmm. on on sort of a fundamental level. So what are the jobs to be done for my bikes now? It's get me places all year round. So in Michigan with the lake effect, I live in battle Creek. Um, with, with the lake effect, just dumps snow constantly to ride in the winter. I really need a fat bike Mm -hmm. to get to work. And, and, you know, and, and so that's one. So I have a fat bike and my, my original stable was fat bike, cross bike, tri bike, road bike. Mm -hmm. And it had ballooned from two bikes that I had had for, you know, I basically had, when I was doing triathlon I had the triathlon and the cross bike for a long period of time Mm -hmm. because I wasn't riding in the winter and as I started the commuting I was accumulating bikes and not getting rid of any you know to to enable me to ride Mm year-round and so I was you know the, the the garage was quickly becoming filled up with bike parts and you know 
And I was like, okay, what, what am, what am I doing here? Like, I'm not, I'm not racing hardly at all, you know, specific triathlon stuff. I race a little bit of gravel and I'll jump in a triathlon, you know, well, I mean, my first, my first triathlon since my kids was, was, you know, two weeks ago. So <laughs> I haven't done any triathlon to speak of. So that was the first yeah. thing in the crosshairs is like, all right, try bike. That's gone. Now think about the jobs to be done and I need to enable year round riding fat bike. I need I, rough roads in Michigan because of lack of road maintenance. Um, and then lots of rain, lots of gravel. Okay. Need some way to navigate those circumstances, which is like, you know, can be done by a lot of different bikes. But, but what I'm trying to get to is something that I can race if I want to, you know, either gravel, try road. And then I need my bike or bikes to be able to go year round. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where I'm trying to get. So, so the the initial, the initial one was you deleted the tri bike because you just weren't doing triathlons and you could still do a triathlon on your road bike reasonably well. And now it sounds like you're, you're waffling. Do you get rid of the road bike also? And just like, because I I think uh, to give, give people a take home here, um, you know, if you're just going to have one bike, I think the cyclocross slash gravel bike is probably the one to have. It's basically a road yeah. bike with, with slightly fatter tires, so you can ride a whole bunch of places. But if you want to put skinnier tires on it, it you can. It works. You, know, you could go do a triathlon, put a set of aero bars on, and do okay. You're not going to have a yeah. huge penalty over you know a quote-unquote real triathlon bike. And then... Uh, yeah. Yeah. And that was my revelation is when I raced an old Le Mans, I TT'd an old Le Mans against my, um, my giant Trinity. Mm-hmm. And the, I think it was like, I lost maybe, you know, 0. 0.4 miles an hour or something. Mm-hmm. And I was much mm-hmm. more comfortable coming off the bike. Mm. And, and that's when I sent that email to you, I was like, what, what is the deal with this steel thing? I feel <laughs> way fresher than, than, I have ever felt on yeah. a carbon bike. Yeah. And well, so that, that kind of was like, Oh, maybe I got suckered here. <laughs> I guess I should, I'll, I'll give a piece of the backstory here. So yeah, you emailed me about, I had started writing again for slow twitch doing tech columns and you had sent me like, what's, what's the deal with, with frame material and how, what am I missing here? And so that sparked an article that I wrote called the frame material debate, which was sort of an investigation into different frame materials and how they affect the ride quality and talking about price versus everything else and sort of uh, a commentary on the the lost art of making bikes out of metal you know everything is carbon fiber these days and it's sort of it's sort of analogous to our thing with racing you know once you take some of the craft and uh i'm just sorry i'm just hitting stuff i don't know if you can hear that i bumped into something anyways uh you can uh, you're, you're taking the craft and sort of the mystery out of of uh, the art of making a bike, and all of a sudden it's not quite as fun anymore when everything is sort of perfect on paper with these fancy super duper carbon bikes. Anyways, that's the that's the backstory there. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it it really is like it's the the pendulum has has swung a little too far, and I think like 
now is is a moment for a course correction within the industry within the sport right mm-hmm. is get back to stuff that's simple fun and works you know yeah. and like that that is really what the majority of people in my mind should be looking at is like what works you know yep. and yep. and gives you like 99% of the benefits of the top of the top of the top thing yeah with keeping costs under control keeping headaches and maintenance under control yeah where is that sweet spot and it is there it's just hard to find because there's a lot of noise mhm yeah and so that's why I'm I want to give some take homes I mean so I guess to to recap you know if if you're just if you're brand new to this you you don't bike at all you want to get one bike Maybe you want to do a triathlon, maybe not. Maybe it's a, you want to go ride with your friends or whatever, you know, some sort of bike in that what's now being sold as like a gravel or cyclocross, some kind of a fat tire road bike. That's, you know, long-term going to be uh, a very sound investment versus a bike with a much more narrow focus. And uh, also on the the topic of uh, mountain bikes and the, the fat bike stuff, I personally, if someone just wanted to get one bike in that realm i'd say go with the fat bike because again you can always put skinnier tires on a bike that has a bunch of room but you can't go the other way if it's a regular bike with limited tire clearance you can't just stuff in five inch tires um so i like the fat bike uh it it sort of was a fad and i can see how it could be taken the wrong way it's like oh you're a minimalist but you're saying buy this new expensive bike and eh, i get it but my point is, especially if you want to ride in the winter or you live in a place that's cold, it's going to give you a lot more year-round versatility compared to a quote-unquote standard mountain bike. So if you can afford it, that's that's my my nod is go with the fat bike. Would you? How do you feel about that? Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think I think for me, what I've seen the most utility from in my life is the is the cross bike or the gravel bike mm-hmm. primarily in terms of what that bike can do for how many months out of the year, it's almost like I could almost go exclusive with that one and probably could if I did like studded tires or something mm-hmm. in the winter, but that's kind of a pain. Yeah. Um, and then the fat bike is just, there's nothing, there's nothing like it, you know, and both those bikes are fun to ride. Mm-hmm. Like that's the thing. They're versatile bikes, but they also like are just, they give you that joy back. Like there's something like you feel a little silly when you're riding a fat bike. Like you feel happy. Yeah. You know, you're the uh, only one out there in the winter. Yeah. Yeah, It's cool. My uh, theory on that, and it kind of applies to the gravel and cross bikes too, is there's a placebo effect of looking down and seeing a fatter tire. And even though your, your skills haven't increased at all, you get a bigger sense of confidence because it's like, oh, there's this fatter tire down there. I can run into stuff and it's not going to throw me offline or I'm not going to crash. And uh, so like the step one is a cross bike compared to a road bike. You know, you're you're going from like a 23 millimeter tire to like a 35 or 40 millimeter tire. It's like, ooh, that's a big boost. But then if you go all the way to like yeah. a fat bike, you've got this four or five inch giant wide tire. And it's like, man, I feel like I can run over anything. And it adds like a weird sense of fun. So yes. Yep. Yep. But uh, yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And what kind of what what I've what I've realized is like the tires matter so much. Tires and wheels matter so much mm-hmm. in terms of how the bike 
performs and what it can do. And that was, that was one of the things that I kind of missed when I was just in race mode. It's like what, what, what you can unlock by playing with tires or wheel size or, you know, well, give me a few, uh, do you have like one or two, uh, little nuggets of advice there for, for, for choosing tires? You know, honestly, I'm not super, super technical. Um, but, but what I would say is like having an array of, if you're, yeah, having an array of wheels or tires can make your biking experience it can really open up a lot of different doors for you in mm-hmm. terms of where you can take a bike. Okay. Right? And when you unlock those different environments, different use cases for the bike, you realize like, Oh, there's a, there's, there's a lot I can do with this thing. And, and I've really, really enjoyed like making it my primary mode of transportation. Mm-hmm. It, it's just been like, Oh wow. You know, I've just been on the roads with my head down in my aero bars and like, this thing can do a lot more than that. Yeah. Know? Yeah, I agree. I think tires are definitely the the least expensive way to sort of dip into that. You know, if you go into multiple wheel sets, you can get, you know, a lot of cost involved. Excuse yep. me, but uh, yep. tires yeah, are good. Multiple, multiple tires, if you have some slicks and some knobby tires, that gets you, that gets you to ride. And, and this is kind of how I think about it. It's like, what can I ride most of the year with? Mm. And if you get a set of slicks and a set of knobbies on a, on, on a gravel bike or a cross bike, it's like, man, you, you can ride pretty much year round. Yeah. And then you can, ideally you're, you're looking at just doing like a seasonal tire change. Cause if you have, you know, too many tire choices, you're giving yourself a lot of work, just constantly trying to change to optimize for each little thing. And I, I try to do it where, okay, you've sort of got the winter set and the summer set and uh, do yep, it that way. Go. Cause yeah, you can, you can sort of, un- and that's, that's kind of how I view it too. Is like, I have, I have seasonal bikes and my main bike is my cross bike. Fat bike comes out in the winter. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Well, do you have any, yeah. uh, last parting words of advice, things you'd like to say, shout outs, et cetera? No, I just like that idea of like, we need to play more. Adults need to stop taking the fun out of stuff. Just <laughs> play more. Yeah. Everyone needs to have more joy. Yeah. What's uh, the the Joker? Why so serious? Everyone's yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> that's or, the model uh, for triathlon. Or the Shining, Why you so know. Serious? All what is it? All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. It's, it's, <laughs> it's so, one of those. It's one of those. It's so true, but uh, outstanding. Well, I really appreciate you joining joining the show. This is uh, an open invitation. If you'd ever like to uh, update, maybe we, we do an annual update with, uh, with JP about uh, how his life is going. I did see you got a minivan on, on Instagram today. Yep, just got the minivan. That is an wow. interesting story probably for the next podcast, but it stalled <laughs> out four times on us on our drive home. Oh, that's not so it didn't sign. show up in the test drive. And the <sighs> thing is just, it's already causing problems. That's We've had bummer. it for less than 24 hours. So we got some bugs to work out on this. Yeah, thing. but you're you're rolling into dad life big time. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, things are changing. Yeah, we'll give you we'll, I'll I'll give you the update. Yeah, for Outstanding. sure. Outstanding. Very good. I appreciate appreciate it and uh that is it. We'll call it a show.